hello, welcome everyone. So my name is uh, Jesse Latour. I'm the editor of the Fullerton Observer newspaper. And uh, I'm joined tonight by some uh, very informed guests to talk about uh, redistricting, kind of the <clears throat> sometimes big and scary or complicated topic. Uh, try to maybe help us understand some of the impacts of the new district maps and uh, for state assembly, um, state senate, Congress, other races, also city council. So uh, I'm joined uh, first by uh, Professor Jody Balma. So she's the pr professor of political science at Florida College, also the co-chair of the political science department and the honors program, I believe, also at Florida College. Absolutely. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah. And then also I'm joined by uh, Jane Rand. So Jane is a uh, longtime writer and contributor to the Fullerton Observer. She's been covering, <clears throat> excuse me, the city redistricting process. So kind of the, the process of drawing uh, maps and lines for um, city council districts. So Jody's going to talk first, uh, and then Jane's going to talk about the city. And we're also joined by Adrian Mesa. He is uh, the editor of the newly formed podcast called Observing Fullerton that you can find on SoundCloud, Spotify, and I think iTunes now. And take it away. So Orange County is redrawing maps because it's the year to do so according to the constitution. Uh, we take a census every 10 years. And so this large map shows the entire United States. Um, those dark green states are those that have grown in population from about 15 to 18% increase. The states like uh, the, the middle green are a little less and California's in the slower growth, but still growing. The yellow states are, are losing population. But because the House of Representatives is a zero sum game, there are 435 seats, you have to take away from states that are growing slower. So California for the first time in our state history since we became a state in 1850, we've always been growing in population. This is the first time we're actually losing a seat in Congress, going from 53 seats to 52, and that'll affect the Electoral College as well. So the reapportionment, um, if you are uh, looking ahead to the 2024 election, uh, there are some states that are gaining uh, 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 Electoral College seats, Oregon, Montana, Colorado, North Carolina, Florida, and Texas gets two. Um, the states in purple are losing one seat all across the board from New York, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Ohio, Michigan, Illinois, and California. So we're down to 52 seats. If you notice, the numbers uh, for the rest of the nation are significantly lower than 52. So no one in the rest of the country feels bad for us, um, but, but we feel that loss. Um, Texas is slowly inching up, but they're still at 38, but they're the next largest state. So California will have 54 electoral college votes. We tally that by the number in the House of Representatives, 52, plus the number in the United States Senate, 54. So that's how many delegates we'll have to the electoral college um, until the 2030 census starts this process all over. So that means that we have to redraw those districts. Those 52 districts in Congress have to be redrawn. Prior to 2010, the legislature itself did that. Um, we decided after what political scientists called the uh, incumbent protection plan, where safe seats were made safer, uh, we passed the voters passed Proposition 11, which 
uh, allowed the redistricting commission, sort of a citizens redrawing map. And so 2010, that happened. And again, this time, this is our second time. We're not the only state with independent commissions, Arizona, Colorado, Idaho, Michigan, Montana, Washington, all use independent commissions. Um, the way we do it is our commission up here does Congress, state Senate, state assembly, and the board of equalization. The counties do their own, the cities do their own, and Jane Rands is going to talk about how Fullerton has done their redistricting maps. The school districts do their own. And if you are not in Fullerton, um, check out your local uh, city councils and school boards to see if this process is still going on. Many still are, and you can get involved. Um, water districts, community college districts, if there's a variance in the census, of more than 10% in those districts, they have to be redrawn. So not every agency will redraw them. The commissioner's duties at the state level, these 14 commissioners, um, do community outreach reach. And wow, did they. Um, they were trying to get everybody in the state involved all last year and did public meetings for hours and hours and hours. Um, they had really, really street level knowledge of these districts. They did an incredible job of community outreach. Even if you don't agree with how the maps turned out, those commissioners really did um, community outreach and just tried to fit together this jigsaw puzzle of, of dividing up the state. They drafted maps, um, 52 for Congress, 40 for the California Senate, 80 for the Assembly, and four for the Board of Equalization. Here's what they were working with. They had to be equal population. We have to have basically the same number of people. So all those scary, scary, scary gerrymandering stories you hear from other states where the legislature is in charge. We have some rules that our commissioners had to follow. Number one, equal population. Number two, they had to comply with the Voting Rights Act. Uh, and so you want to make sure that that the communities where, um, where people of color, where minorities, where underrepresented uh, populations are, are, are together, you want to make sure that they have the chance to elect a representative rather than slicing and dicing. And so you'll see that in Orange County, where the commissioners spent quite a bit of time trying to make sure that Anaheim and Santa Ana could stay together for a strong Latino vote. Um, contiguity. The idea that you, you have to keep the, the, the land mass together that connects. So you can't have a little piece of Orange County all the way tied up to Bakersfield. Um, that's pretty easy. Communities of interest. This is where the public got involved a lot with the concept of communities of interest. You know, I was arguing and, and submitted a public comment that Fullerton Joint Union High School is a community of interest, that they have six schools and Fullerton, La Habra and Buena Park should be kept together because of that community of interest, that students could be from any of those areas. Others argued that Little Saigon that crosses uh, you, you know, city boundaries should be a, a community of interest. Lots and lots and lots of people argued for that, and they did a good job of listening, even if it didn't pan out in, in the map because of all these other factors. Geographically compact, you don't want, um, we had, uh, when the legislature was drawing things, we had a congressional map that went uh, from Oxnard, California, all the way up to Monterey, just this little tiny slit of coastal area. You really do want it to be compact so that you don't have you know, 200 miles in a district. And then nesting districts, which we've seen in the past where two assembly districts 
uh, were combined to match a Senate district. We didn't get that. They were paying a lot of attention to the other five. And so that nesting ends up being um, minimally um, seen. And you'll see that on the maps where the, the Senate districts are drawn differently. So we've got this huge area, Orange County, I will remind you, is 3.2 million people, which would be a state. We often forget that because we're overshadowed by Los Angeles County that's over 10 million, Los Angeles City that's larger than our entire county with more than 4 million people. But we are an incredibly populous area. Um, and, and you know, if you're looking at states to compare us to Utah, is the same size by population. Iowa is the same size by population. Um, and so we do have a lot of different interests to consider. Um, I just wanna sort of show you some of the differences in the past. So uh, what used to be the, the, the assembly district for, um, for Fullerton when it had been the 55th district and became the 65th district in 2011, went from a really solid safe Republican district with 9% more Republicans than Democrats. And the redistricting commission in 2011 drew kind of a different map that made it more competitive and it was just a 1% uh, Republican um, district. And so that has changed with population and demographic changes, but, but we see the effect that suddenly that Fullerton district that was safe Republican for decades became competitive with the citizens redistricting um, commission and the, and the new map. So we'll see some of those changes in the next few iterations of elections as the competition changes and, and the advantage. So this was the 65th district with Fullerton being uh, together in the map. We now have, and, and, and thanks to Jesse and the Fullerton Observer for this map, uh, gave us a divided uh, assembly district. We're going to go through how Fullerton gets split in each of the assembly, the state senate and Congress, and then look at that. So Jesse, I'm hoping you can give me some of the boundary lines for this because it's hard to know exactly what those streets are. Yeah, <clears throat> so I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my best. So we, we had a, uh, one of our reporters, um, Anthony Robert did a, a story that from which, actually I have to give credit to Fullerton resident, Harry Longenbacher for creating this these little maps uh, to go with Anthony's story, but I'm gonna I'm looking at uh, Anthony's uh, article here. So this is the Assembly District Division, and so let's see. Um, I'm sorry. It begins on uh, Gilbert Street, I guess, kind of going uh, on the left side, on the boundary with La Habra. Goes south to Castlewood Drive, turns further south on Parks Drive. <clears throat> continuing on Baston Cherry. Yeah, that looks like, is that Baston Cherry? Yeah, or, okay. <laughs> I think it might be uh, Chapman. Oh, I'm sorry, Baston Cherry until reaching Chapman or Malvern's. Okay, so there you go, Jay. So then, yeah, there, that's Chapman, Malvern. The boundary then follows Chapman until going, going east until Harbor Boulevard, where it goes slightly north, jogs around Hillcrest Park, and then follows Dorothy Lane to Acacia Park and the Fullerton Creek Greenbelt, where the boundary joins with Yorba Linda Boulevard to the 57 freeway. The boundary then follows the freeway to Placentia Avenue, where it finally terminates at Orangethorpe on the city's border with Anaheim. Does that make sense? 
It does. It does. And and those who live there, uh, it, it makes even more sense. <laughs> okay. So this gives you a little broader perspective of how Fullerton is split. Fullerton is here. And so Sharon Kirksova, uh, the, the, the district that she has represented in the 65th becomes the 67th. And it really moves her out uh, to Buena Park and Cerritos, Artesia, La Palma, Cypress, Hawaiian Gardens. Um, and so the rest of Fullerton kind of that north and uh, and and east section of Fullerton joins in what used to be the 55th um, assembly district currently represented by Phil Chen. And so this asterisk means incumbent, the person who has the job currently. Um, and so that that portion of Fullerton will be joined with Brea, Placentia, Yorba Linda, Villa Park, Orange, a little bit of North Tustin. And you can kind of start to see what we're leaving out is you know, a big part of Anaheim and Santa Ana that will become clearer when we look at the entire Orange County. But that's going to be the split for um, the Assembly. So then we switch over to the Senate. Uh, so currently, the 29th district in the in California Senate is represented by Josh Newman, um, which goes, you know, all the way. It's a tri-county district with um, parts of San Bernardino, uh, Los Angeles, and Orange County. It's now split. Uh, between the 37th and the 34th with kind of a different split here. And so, Jesse, if you can tell us what those boundaries are. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I guess, you know, Fullertonians, you will know these streets. Uh, okay. So it begins on uh, Euclid on the boundary with La Habra, goes southward until reaching the old Union Pacific right-of-way next to Bass and Cherry. So all the way down the bottom there following that until reaching Chapman and Malvern, old familiar Chapman and Malvern. The divide then follows Chapman East until reaching North Placentia Avenue, so all the way kind of to the edge, uh, following that until reaching Topaz Lane, going eastward until ending at Bradford Avenue on the city's boundary with Placentia. Okay, so this is what that ends up looking like. Again, this is Fullerton in the blue. So this section matching with this section. And you have this divide um, where Josh Newman now has a very little portion of what he used to represent. And it won't be on the ballot. It's an odd number. So all the even numbers in the Senate are elected in 2022 and all the odd numbers are elected in 2024. And so it also sets up what it, you know, a quirk of the redistricting is it cannot look at political party um, affiliation of the voters and it cannot look at where the incumbents live. And so we have two people who are currently in the Senate, um, Dave Min from South County and Josh Newman uh, in, in this Fullerton portion. So it's going to be very different, but that's not until 2024. So switching over to Congress, the 39th district. Uh, which, you know, had switched hands in the last couple of elections, going from Gil Cisneros to Young Kim, currently representing this area, another tri-county, uh, Chino Hills, um, Los Angeles, and Orange County, um, Chino Hills and San Bernardino County, um, all being in one congressional district. And now we're going to see the split of Fullerton, um, the 45th and the 46th. Uh, congressional districts. So this looks like just, oh, a little bit over here. So is this Chapman? Uh, 
Yes, it's just yeah. This one's easier. It's basically just Chapman. Well, Chapman, Melbourne. You know, Chapman, which sure becomes Melbourne. turns into Melbourne. Yeah. 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 Uh, and I don't know what that little jog in the corner there is. I'm trying to see if Anthony uh, explains. I don't. Yeah, I don't know what this little. I thing believe it might be placentia. This, no, I mean, oh, but, that this that, would um, be Placentia yeah. Avenue because that, mm-hmm. I, but I'm not sure what this little section is. Um, Jody, I don't have an answer on that one. That's, that's okay. Mystery. Well, <laughs> so maybe somebody can tell us in the Facebook chat. Yeah, that's the mystery. If they live in that little corner that's that's blocked off. The mystery. Um, it must have just been one precinct with a couple of people that needed be needed to be moved into another no, uh, number. It ends up just being numbers at that point. So. Um, this is now, uh, you know, Jay Chen was all ready to run against Young Kim and now uh, is is challenging Michelle Steele. This um, becomes the Fullerton district. This is South Fullerton. And so that Chapman-Malvern split goes down here with Anaheim and Santa Ana um, for Lucrea's district that he is currently representing as the incumbent again that in the asterisk means the person who currently has the job. Michelle Steele, um, it's going to be an interesting um, position where you're going to have people that are technically incumbents because they're in Congress, but not having represented any of the people in the district. So um, that name recognition advantage that we always give to incumbency um, becomes less of uh, an advantage when nobody knows who you are because you haven't represented them before. But we see this district with Brea, Placentia, Fullerton kind of swooping around Anaheim and Santa Ana to pick up Buena Park, Cerritos, Wine Gardens, Cypress, Los Alamitos, Garden Grove, Westminster, and all the way down to Fountain Valley. So it is when you're thinking about that really large 3.2 million people and 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 kind of those differences of our county, this is one that um, we don't always interact with the North and South uh, County folk. Uh, and so we'll get to know people in a different way and, and definitely our representatives well. So this just gives you the broader map of what has changed uh, for the congressional districts where um, this is the 2020 um, uh, outcome with uh, Young Kim in 39, which, you know, this only shows the Orange County portion. Sanchez just had a little tiny uh, part and was mostly Los Angeles County. Lowenthal, who is retired from Congress at the end of this term, Lou Correa's 46. Um, Katie Porter, 45. Her district changes a lot. Michelle Steele, obviously, you know, was really coastal. Mike Levin, who shares a lot um, of that Orange County with uh, San Diego County. And so the, these have shifted quite a bit. And the Voting Rights Act is one of the reasons for this, um, this shift, but it's not terribly different from what we had before as that central Orange County map. But this gives you a broader perspective of how this all fits together. Um, and the filing deadline uh, for Orange County, we can kind of start to see who the players are going to be. Um, and as you're looking at these names, I would really encourage you, if you're interested in learning more about the races in your new district, is to follow these folks on social media. Um, to get to know them more, to follow groups that are that that are you know campaigning, that are um, organizing for one side or the other. Um, but but you can see here for the Fullerton 45, Michelle Steele, Long Pham, Jay Chen, Jay, Joseph Cho, 
all running um, for that congressional district. Katie Porter's district has shifted a lot, um, Irvine, and then a lot of what used to be Michelle Steele's district. Um, and so there are four Republicans trying to challenge her down in the 47th. Um, Lou Korea in the center um, has, uh, you know, opponents from all sides, including somebody who's no political party, which is not a candidacy we often see. But somebody else, uh, Mike Ortega from the Democratic Party, and then uh, a, a number of Republicans challenging. Lisa Bartlett and uh, Brian Marriott are names you might know in the 49th. They're challenging Mike Levin. These are all top two advanced. So in the primary in June, what we see is whoever the top two candidates are would advance to November. Nobody wins this election. It's simply the primary to decide who will be on the ballot in November. Up here, um, uh, Young Kim, you know, very little of what used to be her district um, is is now uh, running in the, the the congressional district forty. And so Greg Rass, who ran against Katie Porter, and much of this is. Katie Porter's old district. Um, Greg Rass was the Republican who ran against her. And so he is very well known as a candidate to a lot of those um, South County residents. Nick Torres um, uh, is, is challenging from the, the right of Young Kim. He is one who, um, you know, is, uh, wears shirts that say he's a rhino hunter meaning that he is targeting Republicans in name only, which he is accusing Young Kim of. And so she's going to have a tough primary within the Republican voters deciding where to put their votes, and then only one Democrat, Asif Mahmoud. So if the Republicans do indeed split their votes among those three Republicans, um, you know, I think we will see who advances to November. Young Kim obviously has a huge advantage as the incumbent with a lot of um, fundraising ability, but um, she she will take some some hits um, from the Republican base. Asif Mahmoud, um, as the Democrat, should even though it's a it's a strongly Republican district, advance to November, and then we'll see what the election looks like. But this is all just to give you an overview of who's running, what these campaigns are going to start to look like for Congress. So any questions about this? We have uh, no questions in chat. Okay. So we'll talk oh. about the Assembly and Senate, kind of the same look at the, the overview. Jesse, did you have a question? Oh, yeah. Um, so is it the case that, um, is it the, the top two regardless of party? Or regardless of party. You could have two Republicans. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to, to clarify that. that that's like is, how recent is that because it didn't always used to be that way right yeah so we came up with the top two primary the same time that 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 we came up with that the idea of the redistricting and so we've had a couple of different changes what we saw it, it, with the what we called the incumbent protection plan where the legislature drew maps that were so incredibly safe for a political party that not a single party switched hands for Congress, for State Senate, for Assembly in 2002 or 2004. And so that really got the attention of people. We had some candidates that retired and were replaced by somebody else from their political party. Um, we had some people with term limits in the Assembly and State Senate that 
you know, couldn't run again and were replaced by someone of their own party. But it was the idea that um, we weren't actually having elections where the voters had a lot of say um, outside of the political party dominance. And so top two primary acknowledged that, that we were going to try to draw maps more fairly and more competitively. But the reality is that there are massive parts of our state where there just isn't going to be a competitive election. You're not going to have a Republican win in San Francisco where there are more no, you know, voters that don't belong to a political party, no party affiliation, um, than there are Republicans. You know, at one point it was 14% of the voters didn't belong to a political party and 9% belonged to the Republican Party. And, and statewide, we've seen that. And, and the same is reversed for a Democrat winning in, you know, Shasta County. Um, so, so those two combined said, where we can, we will make races more competitive by making districts more competitive, but where we can't, we'll have this top two. And, and there was sort of the hope that we might see some minor parties gain traction. I'm, you know, I'm surprised that the Libertarian Party hasn't fielded candidates, um, but, you know, in, in Republican uh, areas, but, but we have seen Republican versus Republican races in the general election. We've seen Democrat versus Democrat races. We've even seen that statewide where it's a little harder um, to get that, but we certainly saw that lieutenant governor where we had two Democrats against one another. We saw that in some other races. So regardless of political party, um, the top two vote getters will advance to November and we'll see that runoff election um, there. Got it. Thank, thank you. There is a uh, one question in the chat uh, saying, do they check out uh, Republican and Democrat that uh, data for all redistricting to be sure it's fair? No. So they are not in California. That is not true in Texas. Um, but in California, uh, they are not looking at party uh, affiliation. They are not looking to do that. They're looking to keep communities of interest. They're looking for voting rights. They're looking for that. And the hope was that once you no longer look for incumbency of where the incumbents live, once you're no longer trying to shore up safe seats, that they would become more competitive because they would be drawn fairly. So, so that was the intent, not that they would be seeking out districts that were, you know, more equal, just that it would be a more fair process. So I appreciate that question to kind of clarify that they're not looking to to see the voters and where they are. They're looking to keep communities of interest together. They're looking for contiguous areas. They're looking to keep um, people who have the same, uh, you know, areas. So, Jody, can I ask a, a yeah. little more clarification on that? Because it's, it's something that's been not really clear um, when it comes to the, the city council elections. Um, Absolutely. Some people are asking to be able to view the data to confirm that there wasn't unintended consequence of creating a, a benefit for one party or the other. So is there a rule that you cannot even view the data? So that is in the initiative for the state redistricting commission. I do not know what the rules are for city councils and school boards that they have sort of been left in the wild, wild west to govern themselves. Um, and I think that we sometimes um, 
are still under the false impression that nonpartisan means nonpolitical, that because we do not allow candidates to run for city council or school board or county board of supervisor or uh, you know any of these local elections that they do not bring with them political party endorsement and political party ideas and and I I'm not sure that there's a nonpartisan election left in the state of California um, but they are nonpartisan on the ballot so yeah I don't know the specifics of the rules it would be interesting to see if there are any rules written down um, you know I know that there were some local agencies that simply drew a map of where the incumbents lived and tried to puzzle piece, you know, reverse engineer, how could we get safe districts when they first came along because they were doing it under duress. So we move on to the Senate. Um, this is the whole county picture of the Senate of what it used to be. And you can see, you know, that this has changed a lot. Um, th this 37 has kind of morphed a little bit. And so, again, every even-numbered uh, district is going to be on the 2022 ballot, which means everyone but this 37 will be on the 2022 Senate map. And then 37, which is the matchup of Josh Newman and Dave Min, the two incumbents who both have said that they are running, so we will take them at their word until something changes. But 2024 seems a lifetime from now. Um, but the rest of, of, of these districts will be on the June primary for a top two to advance to November. Now, some, like uh, Senate District 32 that doesn't have a challenger, um, you know, we, we can make some assumptions about who's going to win that if only one person is running. Um, again, 37 isn't until 2024. This part, um, Brea got, um, and since I live in Brea, I um, you know, I'm sort of sad to leave the rest of you behind because Brea got kicked out of Orange County into its own little um, tiny uh, a, a portion of what is now uh, uh, the Los Angeles Senate District um, for Barb, uh, Bob Archuleta's district. So Tom Umberg has South Whittier, La Habra, half of Fullerton, um, that the other half is up here in the 37th. And then down here for Anaheim and Santa Ana, um, Tom Umberg is challenged by Rhonda Shader. Janet Wynn, uh, uh, who's the incumbent, the person who already has the job, gets a lot of, uh, of the rest of the county. Um, Janet Wynn is challenged by Kim Carr from Huntington Beach. And then just a little bit, Mish Viejo and South um, down to San Diego, where Joe Kerr and Nat Gunderson um, your Belinda gets uh, pushed into San Bernardino um, with, with Kelly Serrano. So um, that's kind of the Senate where we'll see that again. They're not nested. So when we look at the assembly, they have slightly different boundaries where Brea comes home to Orange County when we look at uh, how the assembly is worked. But um, that's kind of what we're looking at for the Senate. So we'll see those and again, they're top two primary, so the top two vote getters will advance to November, um, where we will see the, the election there. The assembly gets more exciting because there's twice as many districts as the, the state senate, and so you can sort of see the comparison here of where the map puzzle pieces um, end up going, and and the reason that they are kind of oddly drawn is not because of nefarious gerrymandering. 
but simply because that's where people live. And so we're trying to get, uh, you know, equal districts here in, um, in, in the assembly districts. So um, a whole bunch of districts, but we'll start at the top where uh, La Habra is in uh, a, a, a district with mostly Los Angeles and Rosie Espinosa and Roberto Concio are running against one another for that. Um, if indeed Los Angeles doesn't, they, they may have filed in Los Angeles and I just don't have them here. Um, less, I, I, a shout out to Neil Kelly, who makes everything accessible and um, has just recently retired, but he was the immeasurable, irreplaceable, best uh, registrar of voters that, that we have had um, in Orange County. And I'm very um, hopeful that he has trained his replacement well and the culture that Neil Kelly presided over in the registrar of voters will continue. But the transparency, the data that is available to people at Orange County is just unmatched. And so it's a lot harder to pull from other counties um, or the state secretary of state's information. So this is all sort of coming together and coalescing. But we do see for those count, the, those districts that are wholly in uh, Orange County, we have a clear candidate uh, list uh, because they have to file in Orange County only. Um, Sharon Quirk Silva has uh, two challengers, one Democrat and one Republican. Her district, again, has changed the South um, and, and West Fullerton along with these other parts of her district that's moved to the West. Um, 68, which is down here, the Anaheim, Santa Ana. Tom Daly announced just uh, this past week, uh, just a couple of days before the, he had already pulled uh, the papers to file and he decided to retire. So he will not be on um, the ballot, which you know greatly increases the chances for Uber Vicente or Avelino uh, Valencia also, James Wallace and Mike Tardiff are running, but those top two, whoever um, gets those votes will advance. And then Phil Chen uh, doesn't have a challenger. Uh, again, there could have been one snuck in in San Bernardino, but it doesn't look like it. Um, so Phil Chen would then advance to November and win that election as an unchallenged candidate. Um, down to the south, Laguna Nigel, the San Juan Capistrano, Dana Point, San Clemente, Lori Davies and Chris Duncan running to solid Republican district. Um, uh, we have a, an incumbent versus incumbent for uh, Assembly District 73, Costa Mesa, Tustin, Orange, Irvine. Um, sorry, Irvine. Uh, Orange is the county there. Uh, but Cotty Pet Petri, Norris, and Steve Choi, who are both incumbents in the Assembly, and their district got drawn um, to, to be together. So uh, down here, Rancho Santa Margarita, Mission Viejo, uh, Rancho Mission Viejo, Ladera Ranch. Um, combined with this Marietta Temecula, so an east-west, um, where solid Republican district where Kate Sanchez and Mike Ron, Matt Ron will face off. And then down here where no incumbent is, uh, Steve Choi got moved up. Um, so and Co Cody uh, Petri Norris moved over. Judy Mancuso, Benjamin Yu, and Diane Dixon running against one another. And then uh, Assembly District 70 has just a lot of people running. And so again, top two will advance whoever gets the most votes, but that's a lot to split um, uh, th those votes. So um, if, if Democrats come out strongly for uh, Deidre Thruhey-Nguyen, uh, she would advance to November and then the Republicans may split the vote. Um, these are partisan races. So it means on the ballot, those distinctions, those party affiliations will appear and, and act as a shortcut for voters um, who are affiliated with a political party to make their decisions. So any questions on assembly?
a whole bunch of new maps to kind of, I, I always struggle with the new numbers because I get very used to in 10 years what the numbers are. And it always takes me a couple of elections to go, which map, uh, which was that? And, and I often refer to formerly known as. So uh, for a little while, Sharon's going to be formerly known as the 65th and I'll have to struggle a little bit to catch up to the 67th. Uh, same with Phil Chen. Those are the two that I'm most familiar with for Fullerton and Bray. And it'll take me a little while to update um, what those numbers are actually going to be. So again, if you're interested in any of these races, if you want to know more about the candidates, look for social media, look for websites, follow them. Um, it, it definitely something. So Orange County Board of Supervisors. Uh, there's been a lot of attention to uh, the Orange County Board of Supervisors and the Orange County Board of Education. We've gone viral nationwide with some of the comments about uh, vaccine mandates and mask mandates uh, and, and not necessarily in a good way with public comments um, um, being recorded and, and um, shown uh, in, in viral videos. But we went from um, a map that looked like this to a map that looks like this. And, and you can kind of see that district number two gets moved and district number five gets moved. Um, and so what ends up happening is the three that are on ballot, um, District 4, which is where Fullerton is, all, all together on this one, uh, Fullerton gets to stay whole for the Orange County Board of Supervisors. Um, Doug Chafee, Stephen Vargas, Sonny Park, and Marty Simonoff are doing that. And I have a close-up of that map since it's Fullerton. Uh, Supervisor 2nd District where you see a whole bunch of people running. This is, is not one that's represented by anyone currently. And so these um, are nominally nonpartisan, but again, they each have their party affiliation and it's fairly easy for voters to find out um, what they are. But I would encourage you to research these candidates, to follow them, um, um, to get involved. This is a majority of runoff for the top two in November. So um, there are more than two candidates running in June. Whichever are the top two will advance to November as well. If one of them was able to secure 50% plus one vote, they would win in the June election. With this lineup of four and six and, and, and four candidates, um, it is less likely that one candidate would be able to get a majority vote. So we are expecting that all three of these uh, elections would appear on the November ballot with the, with the top two getting it. Um, Katrina Foley, who, you know, used to be uh, District 2, uh, has been moved into District 5. Uh, with some folks who have a lot of name recognition, Diane Harkey and Patricia Bates are well known in Orange County. And so, you know, we'll definitely see um, that them running a strong campaign against Katrina Foley. Um, a lot of folks who are locally known in their cities or, or, or their school boards who are, are looking to run for the supervisor's race in the second district. So we'll sort of learn more about them as well. But this is the fourth district uh, close up, this unincorporated area uh, in, in the canyon, Brea, La Habra, Buena Park, Fullerton, Placentia, uh, Anaheim and Stanton for this race. And so Doug Chafee is the incumbent, won four years ago. Um, Stephen Vargas and Marty Simonoff, both from Brea and Sunny Park from Buena Park um, are challenging. And so the top two uh, would get that. And just politically, uh, Sunny Park was endorsed by the North Orange County Democrats. 
um, in, instead of the incumbent. And so I think that there'll be a lot of political um, uh, um, noise, a lot of uh, people running and campaigning and, and supporting these four candidates. Um, I don't know how well Stephen Vargas and Marty Simonoff are known outside of Brea. And, and, you know, the vast majority of the district is outside of Brea. So we'll see um, what that looks like as a top two. Orange County Board of Education has a different election rule. So they use a simple plurality. So no matter who gets the most votes, they will win in June. There is no runoff. Um, and so uh, a, a week ago, these were... Uh, matchups with just two people in and some new folks have jumped in in the last few days. Um, and so that may be a concentrated effort to split the vote um, or it may be people really excited to represent the County uh, Department of Education board. So uh, down here, uh, District 2 is the incumbent Mari Barkey, um, Martha Floor and Christopher Gaynor are running against this district four, Tim Shaw, who has been representing the district, then was um, resigned from the board because uh, there was a lawsuit about not being able to both be on the La Habra City Council and be on the Board of Education. Then he resigned from the La Habra City Council and was reappointed to the board. So I don't know if he gets to be an incumbent or not. Um, on the ballot. That'll be something I'm watching to see whether or not you get to be an incumbent when you were appointed to replace yourself. Um, Becky Gomez is in the same um, boat, and so she may be forced to resign. She's on the City Council of Tustin and representing uh, her district. She's not on the ballot. She was just elected um, to a four-year term, and so she's not elected. But we see Paulette Chafee, uh, Elisa Kim and David Choi just jo joined uh, the, the the candidate um, um, uh, filed for the ballot, and then there's just two people: Lisa Sparks and Shireen Smith in District Number Five down here. Um, because of uh, the controversies from the board decisions, I think that these are going to be much more high profile than they have in the past. I think people will be paying a lot of attention to these races. Um, I think uh, the, the political parties, even though these are nonpartisan on the ballot, I think the political parties, the Orange County Democrats and the Orange County Republicans will be really active here. Um, one that usually is not particularly controversial, but I want to highlight that this is going to be a really important election to pay attention to. The superintendent of schools is elected for Orange County, which um, is very different from our local uh, school districts where the superintendent is hired by the board. Our superintendent for Orange County Board of Education is elected. And so the, the incumbent person who's been doing the job and fighting with um, the, the, the extremists on the, the, the Board of Education, um, Alma Harris, uh, is facing a challenger and one that is connected. Um, Orange County Classical Academy, which has been putting a lot of charter not through local school boards, but going directly to the county for those charter applications, affiliated with Hillsdale College. Um, for those of you who kind of are, are, are knowledgeable about charters um, that, that are very conservative, he's the board secretary for that classical academy, Jeff Barkey, who is the husband of um, one of the, the board members, Mary Barkey, um, is the, the, the board president. Um, and so it seems like um, he is running um, with, with the intention to get a lot of charters approved 
throughout Orange County. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm neither pro nor anti-charter, but these charters are a little bit different and certainly worthy of investigation and some research by people who care about public education. Um, and so that race is going to be important to watch as well. Couple, couple of questions oh, on, um, sorry. Yeah. No, happy <laughs> um, to take them. So someone asked a while ago, how does the uh, North Fullerton look for the um, uh, California Assembly? Okay, let's go back to the Assembly. How does Fullerton look for the Assembly? What kind of question? Most uh, notably North, or, uh, North Fullerton. So North Fullerton is going to be in 59, Assembly District 59, which will be with Brea, Placentia, or Belinda. And so that would be um, represented by Phil Chen as the incumbent. There is no challenger. And so I can fairly safely uh, make the assertion that Phil Chen will be the assemblyman for that portion of Fullerton. Okay. Does that help answer the question? I, I believe so. I believe that's what the, the question was about. Yeah, and then, so that's uh, over here. I know it gets crowded on this map because I'm trying to fit <laughs> all of Orange County with all of these assemblies. And so um, if, if PowerPoint let me draw better boxes, I would have drawn boxes around, but then I lose part of the map. So, yeah. And then another so, person asked if uh, there are social media p pages for every district and uh, do they, and if there are, do they post uh, frequent updates? So it's just getting started. So I would say give people a little while. Um, incumbents certainly have social media, um, you know, and, and you kind of have to look, see if they have a website. Most candidates, when they file paperwork, have a website to look at um, and then see what social media they have. Um, I would also encourage people to follow if they if they are affiliated with a political party, follow the North or the, the uh, Republicans of Orange County, follow the Democrats of Orange County, follow North Orange County Democrats, follow North Orange County Republicans if 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 they have a group, but just start typing those kinds of things in. Um, and you'll see those social media sites share and and you'll start to be able to follow kind of the breadcrumbs of getting really involved. And if you are a young person watching this on somebody else's Facebook account, I assume, or you have the recording uh, uh, from one of our podcasts, I would really encourage you um, to announce yourself as a young person. Every political party, every candidate is looking for young people to get involved. Um, they will snatch you up. And if they don't immediately make you a volunteer, uh, come talk to one of us and we'll get you connected with campaigns because um, all of these candidates in June are looking for, uh, for campaign workers, for volunteers, for people to just amplify what they're doing on social media. Um, uh, so really and truly, there's a lot. And if they don't have it yet, they will as they're getting, uh, getting connected. Any other questions about assembly? As you're reading through? Seems about it. And just uh, one fact check that uh, I have not actually fact checked. Uh, they said that it uh, was actually the Democratic Party of OC that endorsed uh, Sunny Park. Thank you. I'll, I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, so this is countywide uh, races. And so the one that's getting a, a ton of attention because it feels to me like it's been hot and heavy for about six months. Um, and, and the, the filing deadline just stopped is the district attorney. Todd Spitzer and Pete Harden are, are clearly the, the, the most active campaigns. We see Michael Jacobs, who was a retired prosecutor for Orange County, uh, kind of coming out of retirement. 
to run. Um, he doesn't yet have a lot of social media or, or a robust campaign. Brian Shaycock, I had to Google, never heard of him, but he is a lawyer in San Diego who is jumping into the race. And I think that um, these are majority or runoff races. So if no one candidate gets a majority, it will advance to November. You can clearly see that there are some people who are going to win. Um, Sherry Friedenrich, the treasure tax collector, doesn't have a challenger. Orange County Sheriff Coroner, Don Barnes doesn't have a challenger. They will be, you know, reelected to these four-year terms. Um, uh, the, the assessor has uh, two challengers. And so Claude Parrish, again, the asterisk means incumbent, the person who already has the job who's running for re-election. Um, Rick Foster is running um, to challenge the assessor and Larry Bales. The clerk recorder, just, uh, I, I always draw attention to this. It's part of my lecture on if you don't know something, uh, leave it blank, um, because some candidates uh, should not get a vote. Um, and so if you want to uh, uh, Google uh, YouTube from Fred Smoller on Steve Rocco, uh, Fred Smoller is uh, an esteemed political science colleague of mine at Chapman University, and he has been following Steve Rocco since he very first won um, election. But um, we learned a lot about what's legal on ballot designations from when he, Steve Rocco ran and won a seat on the Orange School Board many years ago, and he is a perennial candidate um, ever since. And um, he got over 100,000 votes last time. And it, it seems like, um, people should be a little more informed. So uh, you, you can, uh, maybe we'll put that in the chat uh, for Facebook of that. Um, I'll put uh, it in right YouTube. now. Thank you. Um, so Hugh Wynn is running for uh, re-election and Sandy Kimball and Steve Rocco are both challenging. So we expect the DA to go to um, a, a, a runoff election in November. Um, we'll see what happens with the other two races that have challengers. But those are the countywide uh, races. So just to talk a little bit more about these um, the, these rules to kind of show you some of the recent examples of how these rules have affected elections. And then we're going to get uh, uh, to the granular level on, on Fullerton City Council, which I'm excited to see. Um, that as well. But the electoral rules for our county offices, district attorney, supervisor, are that they're in the primary ballot. And so this year it's in June when we have a presidential election, we move it to March to try to be more relevant. Um, but if they're, they're elected, if they win by 50% at a plus one vote. So if they get a simple majority in the primary, they win. If not, it's a runoff election. So if no one wins a majority of the votes, the top two candidates have a runoff. And so what we saw in June, in, in March, uh, in the March 2020 primary election, Andrew Doe uh, was running for supervisor and Sergio Contreras was challenging. We had two other candidates. And so no one got a majority of the votes. And so they advanced to November uh, election where Andrew Doe won. Um, uh, the special elections have special rules. And so when Katrina Foley was running for this short-term election um, be because Michelle Steele was elected to Congress and, and vacated her seat, there were three Republicans, Morlock Muldoon and Michael Vo. And if you calculate, if you want to pause, 
this recording and calculate that, um, 34 plus 12 plus 9 is more than 48,000. Uh, so the Republicans between those three, they had different Republican endorsements, they had different supporters, um, but those three Republicans split their Republican votes and Katrina Foley won that election because all you needed was a plurality. So she actually won with 44% of the vote. Um, so that's one of the cautionary tales of plurality elections versus runoff elections. Um, and so we saw that with the Board of Education in 2020 in March, where the Democrats had three candidates, Vicki Calhoun, who's currently on the Fullerton um, Joint Union High School Board, Paulette Chafee, who is running again, for the same seat in June, and Jordan Brandman, who at the time was on the Anaheim uh, City Council, but has since resigned. But all three of them were splitting the vote. And so Tim Shaw won with 33% of the vote. Um, it, it was not, you know, if it had been a runoff, we would have seen Vicki Calhoun and Tim Shaw advance to November, but that is not the rules. And so it is a cautionary tale about splitting the vote and making sure that um, voters who support a candidate understand the rules that exist. This is also true when we talk in November with all of these school board races and city council races that are going to be in the November election, we see that plurality as well. Um, uh, district elections means that it's a very small number of votes when we go to district elections in some of these school boards. Placentia or Belinda is get, getting a lot of attention in the news as they are um, dealing with uh, anti-critical race theory uh, measures that they are passing, even though K through 12 is not a place where that particular theory, a legal theory taught in law school, is not uh, something that we teach in K through 12, but they're passing measures that actually put AP classes um, in, in jeopardy. The college board is considering really reviewing any of these school board measures um, that would place a ban on the teaching of ethnic studies of critical race theory that, um, that, that would be so broadly written that they would ban really academic inquiry. And you see in this case, Leandra Blades, who um, was elected with just 38% of the vote, uh, is one of those plurality. And she is one of the leaders of, uh, of, of these measures. She you know, famously was, or infamously was at the January 6th insurrection and was interviewed about it. Um, she has brought a lot of um, controversial uh, opinions to the school board um, and, and we're seeing a lot of teachers look for other jobs because of the hostile work environment of, of some of these measures coming down. And it's because of these election rules. Um, uh, not, not to say that conservative voters don't have uh, the right to vote for who they want to elect, but it is a, a minority of the voters who chose um, this particular candidate. And so that's something to really be cautious of in November as candidates are jumping in. You need to know what the election rules are um, and, and what the, the potential is for splitting the vote and electing somebody who only a minority of the, the voters want to support. So that's kind of the, the big picture um, of, of where Fullerton is going to end up in congressional races and the state Senate and the assembly, um, the countywide races and, and what we're going to look at. And so if there are any questions, we'll take them and then 
I'm happy to look at what the city council is doing in Fullerton. There is one question saying, how do you learn about judges? Judges, we're going to have to do a whole nother session on. There's so many districts for judges. um, And and personally, I would love not to elect judges, but I don't have that magic wand power. Um, And so it is something that I think we have to become really educated on. And the Orange County Bar Association does a good job of ranking uh, the, the candidates, um, un- unfortunately, we've got some judges that have been reelected without even challengers. Um, you know, Mark Kelly, who had a recall attempt early on, um, you know, won election uh, for his six-year term. Scott Steiner, who, you know, just didn't yield a challenger, even though the Orange County Bar Association um, ranked him not qualified the last time he ran, and nobody challenged him this time. So um, we'll have a whole nother session on judges uh, because that's uh, hard, hard to educate yourself about. Um, and I'm going to have a podcast interview with, um, with the, 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 the candidate who's running to be the first Korean American um, on, on the bench for, for Orange County, Jessica Cha. Um, and, and one of the questions I ask her is, how do you even campaign when the entire job is to be objective? <laughs> You know, this isn't a partisan or ideology-based job. I I can make a decision of who, you know, what kind of ideology I want for superintendent of public instruction when they're talking about what their vision is for school. But for judges, what I want their answer to be is the inscrutable for voting. Um, I will be objective and, and look at every case based on the facts. Well, that doesn't help me at all, but that's a really good candidate for judge. So we'll have to do a whole forum for judges. Yeah. And then there is another one. Um, uh, are all districts at all levels composed of equal number of all residents, including children and non-voters or equal number? Yeah, of it's based on population, not voters. It's based on population. And so, yes, yes not exact. Obviously, there's going to be variation. We just don't come in neat, neat boxes. Um, but it is based on all residents. And that was one of the big, big, big debates we had in 2020, which seems a lifetime ago, um, for the census where the Trump administration was trying to put a citizenship question on the census form in order to intimidate um, non-citizens, residents, undocumented folks um, to not participate in the census. And that was before we had, uh, you know, really adopted the term pandemic into our everyday vocabulary. Um, but it did have a chilling effect, we know, of people not wanting to participate in the census. And then just the luck of the draw, um, we choose April 1st, I- irony for April Fool's Day to be the day we count. If you're born before April 1st, you get counted in the census. If you're born April 2nd, you got to wait 10 years to be counted in our decennial um, census. So April 1st is the day that you're either born or, or dead for our 10-year count. Um, and so that was obviously in the middle of um, the, the stress pandemic of not knowing what the uncertainty. And so it was just really difficult for people who didn't go to the website and register themselves and answer the questions, who didn't mail in the form that they got um, to be counted. Usually we employ thousands of people across the nation to actually go out and do follow-up. That was obviously stymied by the pandemic and obviously the hard to count populations 
the, the unhoused are notoriously difficult to count. And that was just multiplied by the pandemic um, factors. And so we expect that there was a lot of undercounting um, in, in this census count. But it does, Jody, it does factor in everything. Yeah, Jane. About the population, there was one change in California about how they count um, prison populations. Was that was that new for this one? Yeah, and there's all there's always it's always interesting to see what people bring up um, in the reapportionment, the part, the fight in the house um, of of which states are going to get to count, and obviously, no state wants to. Uh, you know, lose population. And so um, one year, Utah wanted to count everyone that was on a mission for the Latter-day Saints of Jesus Christ. So that if you lived in, you know, Fullerton, but were on a mission in Chile, but your letter sending you to Chile came from Utah, um, Utah wanted to count you for those two years. Um, And so we had a big fight about that. And then New York was like, oh, that's amazing. We're losing population too. So we'd like to count all the APO, the military folks. So you're, you know, stationed out of Pendleton, but you're uh, in in Europe and your mail goes through New York. They wanted to count all military personnel. Um, And so that kind of brought up the discussion of, wait, where do we count those who are imprisoned? Do we count them in the county that they were sentenced? Or do we count them where they live? And so that that was um, part of the change that we count them um, differently than we have in the past. It's a you know large number of people in California because we have such high incarceration rates. And so that shifted um, the county resources. The idea being that that many of them would be released um, during that ten year period, and so the county resources would need to be in the place where they were remanded. And, and that is a change in state law as well, that parole and probation have to be administered in the county from which they were sentenced. You can't, you know, rural areas were concerned that um, sex offenders, especially that were being targeted um, by, by people who didn't want them. Once Megan's list came out, the database that identified where people who were on the sex registry list were living activists who were opposed to those people being in their neighborhoods were protesting and there was some discussion about <clears throat> sending them to rural areas and those counties quickly said no 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 uh, the parole and probation have to be in the county where they were um, sentenced so that kind of all goes together in where we start counting people for the census a very long answer to a short question but thanks well uh I just want to kind of, um, in the uh, interest of time, kind of we'll move, move yeah. on to Jane in just a moment. But Jody, do it. thank you so much for that. That was really, really informative. And again, I want to encourage people to um, to follow her podcast called A Slice of Orange. And she uh, talks about Orange County politics. And it's, uh, yeah. I feel like. And, know, and we'll have lots of these candidates on um, during, during elections. I, I go very candidate heavy. Um, so we'll talk to a lot of them, but yeah, let's, let's talk for it to Jane about city of Fullerton. Yeah. So we're, we're going to pop over to Jane Rands who talk about, uh, redistricting in the city of Fullerton and Jane, you can go ahead and share your screen, uh, if you'd like. And, um, I would like to, I'm actually not on where I want to be though. Let me move <laughs> that guy down. So navigate. Um, so first of all, I'd like to point out that 
uh, we're still in process of drawing the boundaries in Fullerton because um, our election is not till November. So there was a later submission date. Um, and that's why, you know, the, the state and the Fed, uh, the, the ones that are going to be on the ballot in June already have their districts, obviously. They've filed on the 11th. And so um, this is starting with um, the first um, city council district map in um, in Fullerton, the one that was voted in by the voters in 2016. It was put on the ballot by the city council as part of a settlement agreement. There were two plaintiffs um, with two different um, uh, the ACLU and um, uh, Shankman. Why am I? Um, Kevin Shankman was representing um, City Harmio, and um, there was also Jonathan Take. So Jonathan was representing well, that typically what we would see as the Asian population here, and then Kitty was um, representing. Um, uh, uh, Hispanic population that um, typically didn't have any representation on the city council, despite having been a large portion of our population. So that's how we got to have uh, district elections. Um, so that process was fraught with a lot of um, really people disgruntled in that process. But a lot of that that process was set in place by what was in the settlement agreement. And the settlement agreement was, I would say, from my perspective, a little bit weak. Um, it, um, and this may have been based on um, the, the lack of requirements in the California Voting Rights Act, but whereas the um, state um, uh, independent commission had a set of rules to follow, that um, Jody uh, talked about before, those weren't in place. They weren't required. But the exciting thing about the new districts now is that they are requirements and they're prioritized. And um, see if I got the right thing here. In Elections Code 21601. So if anyone wants to look it up, really easy to read. Um, there's multiple sources, but kind of the most straightforward one is straight to go straight to the state. Um, you can Google California elections code and then put in 21601. You're going to get it. Um, so those, those criteria, the four criteria um, of population equality or, or equal, relatively equal population and that 10% rule that Jody talked about um, is sort of federally uh, determined. Um, and uh, sorry, I'm not seeing where they are in here. Um, uh, here we go. Um, to the extent possible, um, geographically contiguous, um, geographic um, integrity of local neighborhood, local communities of interest. And as Jody pointed out, yes, that's sort of the most exciting part because that's where you get information from the community. Um, and then um, they should be easily identifiable boundaries and to the extent practicable um, um, uh, does not conflict uh, proceeding. Uh, sorry, I'm stumbling here. I apologize. <laughs> um, 
to be is identifiable and um, and geographically compact. So um, the thing that's interesting is that this idea of geographical compactness is sort of at the end of the list. This is a prioritized list. And what sort of supersedes this list, this isn't state law, is the federal laws um, interpreted regarding, um, Cal- uh, excuse me, the Federal Voting Rights Act. So that's where we start looking at um, this kind of information here, where we're looking at um, the uh, citizen voting age population. Now, if somebody had asked a question of Jody about, you know, so are the districts based on population or voters? So the district size, the total population, is based on the um, number of people living in that uh, jurisdiction. But um, when you start looking at equity for populations that have historically um, faced discrimination, um, then you want to start looking at things like the California, excuse me, the citizen voting age population, because you want, if you're trying to remedy sort of past wrongs or ensure that there's the ability for large, significantly large minority groups to be able to elect someone of their choosing or to have a big enough voice in that say, um, you don't want to split those groups apart. Um, and you don't want to shove them all in one district so that they would realistically be able to have more than one representative, like say in our city council. Um, so the nice thing, I guess, about Fullerton is, um, and maybe I'm getting a little off. Let me go back to this map. The interesting thing about our current map and any of the other maps that are being proposed right now is sort of naturally um, we're seeing, and these are currently our districts um, uh, four and five, we see um, at least a plurality of Latino um, voters. So that, that remedy is pretty simple to achieve. Um, in the city of Fullerton um, as well. um, There's such a concentration of um, uh, Asian population within the Northeast portion of the city that uh, again, you don't have to do anything funny to make just big districts that provide that opportunity. Um, So um, the uh, Jody also um, mentioned um, you don't always have to, like our school districts didn't have to, they had the opportunity, but they didn't have to um, change their districts because um, they still met the criteria. But there were two things that came into play with um, uh, Fullerton City Council districts um, this time around. And the biggest was this, you'll see this big no uh, uh, our, this is looking at um, the population numbers uh, and the CBAP um, in these populations for our existing districts, but using the new data. So the 2020 census data adjusted. So um, we know no longer meet that population balance criteria. And so that created a need to adjust the boundaries at least somewhat. Another part thing that was quite interesting, um, or I I thought was good, was uh, with the new uh, 
Fair Maps Act, that four, uh, that, that list of four criteria, um, this idea of having divided at the city uh, with, you know, essentially what we would have, we would like to think of as a, a community of interest, the people living in the historic downtown region um, were intentionally divided up five different ways. And that, that doesn't really fit the new criteria. Um, so the other thing that was new and interesting is having a commission. So um, the new state laws also allow the city council, sort of like the idea of having um, the independent um, the, the state independent uh, uh, redistricting commission, there's an opportunity for the city council to, to abdicate or hand over um, some level of um, independence to uh, a redistricting commission. Um, there were four opportunities, or excuse me, three different versions that could be implemented of um, an advisory commission, um, independent commission, and a hybrid commission. So an independent commission would have allowed uh, would have given no uh, say for the city council, the current city council, to determine who uh, the new district boundaries. Hybrid um, was sort of a balance, but the advisory-only commission gives the city council full power to make that decision. So that's what our city council chose. And um, <clears throat> so the advisory commission was appointed in October. And... Um, really only, excuse me, they're appointed in September, they, and they really only met three times in October, December, and then in February. The first meeting was the five directly appointed commission members, appointed two additional at-large members, which simply amplified sort of the, what, the, there was a cohesive three that appointed two more that sort of just amplified um, their voice as we see later on, um, uh, when they had their meeting in December as a body, um, they had the opportunity to determine whether or not they were going to participate or run the workshops. They chose to stand back and not be a part of those. So their third meeting, was, uh, which was the second public hearing in the process, I haven't introduced that idea of the required four public hearings in this process, but um, where they selected a map was then their next meeting. And in the interim, there were three workshops um, that unfortunately, because of a certain wave of COVID, these are supposed to be sort of hyper-localized, concentrating workshops where people could walk in, meet their neighbors, talk, hash things out, and instead ended up um, on Zoom. Um, uh, the information for the first workshop wasn't available till two days before the first Zoom. Um, and information was difficult to find and, and, and there was very low turnout. Now, um, we can only make assumptions as to why people didn't turn out, um, but there was sort of the same core group of 15, 20 people that participated in the majority of the workshops and the um, to public hearings that have followed since. So we're not seeing a lot of public input. Uh, interesting comment from uh, uh, 
the uh, organization, Tri Pippi Smith, who is responsible for doing the public outreach, um, when our current council member, Ahmad Zara, questioned about, like, was that good turnout, having 15 to 20 people participating? And she said, that was good turnout. Um, but then comparing that to Anaheim, which was another city where there was the same group doing the, the, the outreach. So was it the outreach or was it a disinterest? Um, personally, um, there really was no reason why the city didn't start the outreach um, even before we had our adjusted census numbers, because again, those communities of interest, that kind of information is really independent of what we're going to find in the census data. So, um, you know, I was excited to see this new process in place, but it's been thus far not as, I was more hopeful that there would be a lot more opportunity um, to hear some different voices and some different information. Uh, coming out of the community. It's hard um, to get but, people to care about drawing maps. Yeah, yeah that, that is true. Yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. It is. It's, they don't, they don't understand the connection of, of actual governance tied. So yeah. 15 to 20 sounds like a really good turnout. <laughs> terrible. But okay, I'm going to take your word for it because you would know. <laughs> um, so what we ended up with Interestingly, with the process, part of the rule was um, we weren't supposed to have any draft maps presented until there was the first public hearing. Well, there was a first public hearing in December, um, and there was actually, of the speakers who spoke, um, people didn't talk about communities of interest. They were talking about the process problems. So the kind of the nice thing was they worked through the three workshops before any of those draft maps, draft maps were brought to the public, and they were brought to the advisory commission on February 23rd. So in that process, let me stick with this guy. And up here. So what we ended up with was, I'm gonna talk about sort of the one, let me lay this on if you wanna look at the current districts. But so there was this, there was a, a large group or, of people that, that participated in all the workshops and the public hearings and also um, coalesced into a, 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 co a coalition that um, presented this map, public map 110. And their idea was to keep um, Fullerton College and Cal State Fullerton students together. So they kind of drew this alignment. And presumably, you would think with the support coming out of the community that there would be some interest um, come from the redistricting advisory commission on this map. Now, what, so, what was uh, supported by that redistricting commission was this version of that map um, created by the demographer. So the demographer took that, these there were the maps that were submitted from the public and created kind of combined them based on their similarities and 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 created these maps 112, 113, and 114. So that advisory commission out of this map 110 and then a similar map 109 um, by Patricia Hanzo, um, the, the redistricting advisory commission selected this, uh, the demographer's version here, um, which 
there has been some support for this 112, but then again, we all know the consequence or what actually was decided that um, the uh, city council, after getting the recommendations, um, went to map 114. This one was um, based on a submission. Uh, these submissions here. Uh, that was Seminara and, oh, no, that one's, that I have to talk about. Um, this guy here, yeah, so this alignment. Anyways, the interesting thing is looking at the different alignments between those sort of two competing visions. And the crux of them is um, sort of this alignment of District 3. So this Demographers Map 112 that was recommended based on the large coalitions group has this um, horizontal D3. And if we look at what was selected by the Redistrict Advisory Commission, it's, it's these very, uh, you've got this north-south alignment. Um, council most recently sort of justified it saying, that, you know, the, the interest is this, this 57 corridor. So, um, this is the one that's currently in play, um, but then there's, I hope it's okay for me to talk about the controversy since I am right, <laughs> the, um, just not looking at the, the strictly academically. Um, currently, some of the accusations from the two different sides are the people supporting 114 say the horizontal alignment is intended to keep an incumbent in his seat. And from the other side, there's an argument saying that this 114 is meant to create a gap in, in service um, for one of those incumbents. So specifically speaking, um, um, the, the current District 2 here, um, Dunlap is in there. He was just elected. Districts 2, 1, and 4 just um had their first round of district elections in 2020. And so we there's Dunlap, Zhang, and then Whitaker elected here. And then districts three, sorry, I should stick with, we're looking at these old lines here. Districts three and districts five, this is where Jesus got elected and this is where Ahmad got elected. So, so can you switch um, back to the current map? Yeah, sorry about that. So we that. can see that? I know yeah. it gets really confusing with all the maps. So the yeah. current maps are Jesus Silva's in the green where your arrow is. And Ahmad Zara is in district number five in the orange and they are not on the ballot. They were elected um, four years ago. So they'll be on the ballot. Those districts will be up in 2024. Oh, these, these no, no, these, these two, two, these two will be 2022. Right. Yeah, district yeah. three and district. Is, yes. This is, this I'm is switching it up. So the two yeah. that were elected so, in 2020, one, four, oh, and so the, two, the three. So there's three elected in 2020 here. Okay. So Bruce Whitaker and down in the so, purple and Fred Jung so, in the pink and Nick Dunlap mm -hmm. in the blue. Right. So, okay. So I have to orient myself. Um, yeah. So the yeah. issue is with this district three, if there is this change, right. um, 
from this alignment. So you can still see the, the outline right. of the yeah. nice. up here. Um, is what occurs here is that council member who is currently down here in this section would get moved to district two. And when that district three election occurs in 2022, this year, right. He would not be able to run. So then um, Jesus Silva would not be able to run until 2024 right so it would be be but district three would be on the ballot in 2022 right a new member would get elected a new council member who lives in that district and Mm -hmm. so then jesus silva would be now in a district where the incumbent nick dunlap doesn't run for re-election until 2024. Right, right. Okay. So so, so there's a concern that this is an intentional move. There's accusations on both sides about what's going on um, to force a, uh, an incumbent out, which is not allowed by that's sort of the, um, there's another rule in play after you get through the criteria. Um, the council cannot adopt districts based on the the incumbents, um, as well yeah. as party affiliation. Um, so, this is one of the dilemmas where Fullerton is a small enough town that everybody knows where people live, and so where mm-hmm. the fourteen commissioners doing statewide don't necessarily know where Jay Chen yeah. or Michelle Steele live, and so they're not going to look into it. Um, it's really evident where our Fullerton city council incumbents live. And of course it's public information on, you know, the registrar of voters. So it's not terribly hard to, to find out. And so there is that allegation in the city councils and the school boards that these sort of shenanigans are given cover. Um, and so I have been wondering, and I don't know if you have um, any thoughts you know, Fullerton College is a commuter school. I work there. Um, we don't have a, a lot of people living there. So the the kind of false debate of putting Fullerton College and Cal State Fullerton together in a district, um, that I, I'm not sure why that was even kind of discussed. But if you know that Jesus Silva lives very close to Fullerton College, it then becomes an interesting little jog there. Um, almost carving out his house to be in a different district, and you you just start to 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 get a little suspicious about why these districts another, are being drawn the way they're being drawn. Another point of uh, another point that I'd like to point out uh, is that Greg Seaborn, the uh, committee chair, uh, he uh, ran against Jesus Silva in 2018, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, and oh, that, was, an, that was like another the... incumbent versus incumbent in a year that Jesus Silva didn't had had been elected before the districts had happened and had an at-large seat and then was forced to run two years later for the district seat. Um, and, and I think that that, um, you know, is very much happening again. And it, it's, I, I can't imagine where you don't take it personally. Exactly. 
another right. thing so, that I'm, I'm so sorry to interrupt you. Oh, go ahead. Uh, is that uh, one of our um, viewers just mentioned that it was to keep the neighborhoods co uh, connected, not the uh, not the students. If that was it was so that there was, true? there's been yeah there's been an, a, a few arguments, but initially um, submitted was um, the idea of the schools. And then one of the other things they've talked about is, I think I've got this up. Oh, I don't. Um, I can probably pull it up through here. I got locked out, uh, logged out of Maptitude after all this time. Um, also some talk about... Uh, we'll say housing burden. Sort of those mm -hmm. ideas that um, actually they were talking about high renter population. Um, maybe I should just log back into my Mattitude. Um, <laughs> hang on a second. I'll pull that up for you. I think, um, oh, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, go ahead, Jesse. Um, yeah, I was just gonna, I mean, I, uh, I, as an observer, you know, I don't wanna you know, comment on it too much, but it, it does seem like, like nobody's up there on the on the redistricting advisory commission or the city council saying they're not going to say, "I choose this map because I want my guy to get elected or not, or right. I want to prevent someone from." We're going to say this is about communities of interest and continue. We're going to use all the right language, Correct. but I, but I think that the reality is, I mean, given the fact that the people who are on the redistrict advisory commission, two of them are you know former elected officials, Sean Nelson and Greg Seaborn. You also got. You know Tony Bushala, who's a very big political donor, you know, to um, to candidates, and then you also have Katie Jaramillo on the other side, who was one of the plaintiffs in the original lawsuit. Um, I feel like the other person, Jody Vallejo, on there. Uh, I don't know. She's like she has actually like a background in demography, and and you know she teaches at USC. But I, you're right; it's a small town, so it's like it's hard not to take the slightly cynical view that there's things going on beyond what people are saying their real intentions are. That's, that's yeah. sort of. Yeah, no, I, I think it's a good observation and, and, and obviously both can be true. Like yeah. you can, you can have a, a nefarious goal that you reach using all of the very, very valid uh, <laughs> criteria. Right. I'm sorry, Jane, you go, go continue. We're, it's like, it's hard. It's oh hard no, no it, was, it was, no, I was glad you guys, I was trying yeah. to get back to that map so I could show you sure. The, sure. the data that's that's available through Maptitude, which is some limit. Um, are all of these maps correct. available to everybody? Can we put some of them in the chat as we're going along? Yes. So I put the so, the that map on 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 the, on the chat. Great. Sorry, Adrian. Did you put the link for the site yeah. here? Yes. Okay. Good. Yeah, that was one. Um, it, it's not posted to the city's website yet, but um, we kind of figured it figured out where the maps were hiding. I had to yeah. uh, type in the exact <laughs> URL while you were yeah, yeah. <laughs> while you were presenting. Oh, well, that's how I got it. I took a <laughs> screenshot from the yeah. demographer's presentation. <laughs> Uh, but they were t um, talking about, um, sorry. Uh, I believe, was it renter occupied? Yeah. Why am I not seeing it? It's in the middle. Okay. 
And one Jane, more. What is this map? That we're, what is there? This we go. Map? Okay. Sorry about that. Okay. Yeah. So looking at the the renter data uh, was what's been most recently discussed by by the group. So um, it, it, these are a little funky breakdowns here. But so look at for pink, yellow, and green for fifty percent and above. So sort of like this pink area here. And obviously there's this huge, we got our gym neighborhood here. These are probably Cal State Fullerton students here, the students on campus. Um, there's a couple of apartment buildings here where students live. So um, that idea of sort of um, keeping renters together was the more recent argument that's been used. Um, so, yeah, it's just that the purple, which is all homes, is all surrounding Fullerton College. So it the, the argument falls apart a little bit when you realize that although, you know, housing, houses can be rented, but um, it's certainly not apartments. Yeah, so it's the, the unfortunate thing is there really hasn't been discussion about pulling up these maps, looking at this data by the Redistricting Advisory Commission or by the City Council. Um, the other thing that hasn't been discussed, uh, it was only referenced um, as justification for supporting Map 114 was that the, if you look at the Asian CVAP as high as 56% in Map 114 in District 1. And, um, that was sort of used uh, comparing 114 to 112, which was another one recommended by the um, Advisory Commission at the T2%, which is pretty reasonable because if you look at it comparatively, that's kind of where things fall in line, just naturally um, how you break things up. And um, uh, the another map that was, turns out it was one that I submitted, but it had 53%. But those those breakdowns are pretty pretty much the same across the board. So I don't know if that should have been used as sort of the, the deciding factor, having this rather large, um, I don't know if you need a 56% CVAP to have, uh, you know, versus 53 or 52, um, you know, to sort of justify um, uh, selecting a map. So, yeah. Um, so there is um, just one other thing I did want to talk about, though, too. Um, and we'll look at it assuming that 114, based on looking at 114, if, if 114 was to be selected. As we were talking about the council, the incumbent council members, the impact it would have to their future on the council um, isn't really, it's not something that we discussed. Um, or can't even consider. But um, the demographer suggested that it was reasonable to consider, though not part of, and it couldn't conflict with federal and state criteria, but you could consider the impact on voters' ability to vote in the next election. So kind of the idea of sort of minimizing changes. So what would happen to all these people that are blue, but within this, this boundary that you, is the current District 3? These people would, um, they last voted for a city council member in 2018, and their next opportunity would be in 2024 when District 2 is on um, is on the ballot. So sort of minimizing voter shift is 
kind of a consideration. And, and it really is only impactful to people who are in District 3 and District 5 if they were to get moved into Districts 1, 2, or 4. Um, yeah. I don't know how much of the electorate is aware of this when they're looking at these maps. But all things being equal, as far as if we're looking at CVAP, all things being equal, um, if we don't have a strong argument about communities of interest, um, essentially, you know, it's 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 appearing to me to be being somewhat arbitrary decisions. You're going to have a district four here. It's easy to get district five. Easy to you know where the exact boundaries sure. are. You know, same thing up here in District 1, though there has been some argument for, um, you know, maintaining, keeping this part of Sunny Hills with this part of Sunny Hills. And then um, the the south side of Bastion Cherry in Sunny Hills. Um, So there are some some places that have been discussed, but for the the greater part, this neighborhood here, which actually is one of those neighborhoods, it's called the Adelina neighborhood. It is actually sort of stressed financially or, um, you know, cost of living kind of impact. So it's it's houses, Um, you know, so there are neighborhoods that are struggling that aren't necessarily being heard from. Um, The fortunate thing was we did have a group of three women that are part of OCO stepped up and spoke on districts four and five. um, And it seems like, you know, their desires have been respected. And what um, is OCO? Um, Orange County. Oh, uh, congregation organization. Thank you. Okay. Sorry. Thank you. It's a, yeah. like a kind of the a danger of acronyms is we forget what they stand for. Yeah. Well, because they were very involved in the first set of maps. Okay. Sure. They were part of the organizing um, yeah. group then, so it was. Um, so, um, coming up, uh, moving forward, um, we've got March 29th. This is the fourth, uh, public hearing. It will be before the city council, not during a regular city council meeting, but a special city council meeting Mm -hmm. at 630 on a Tuesday night, same, you know, uh, in the council chamber, people can participate through zoom, um, potentially, um, you know, if they let it ride, I mean, there's opportunity for public input again. Um, they're allowing people to continue to submit maps even for the council to consider. Um, it sounds like the deadline is going to be March 19th or 21st. It's um, currently not on the city website, still says February 10th, um, but we're waiting to get that final date. I, I guess the idea is that the council can still consider a different map as late as the 29th Select it that night and then have a second reading of the ordinance on April 6th and still meet the deadline for the November election. Yeah, but it's looking very much like they have uh, they have support for Map 114, that that seems to be what they will be considering um, and approving and moving forward. Just to add in, the uh, draft map submittal uh, deadline is going to be March 19th. Okay. Yeah. Um, can I can I uh, chime in on this too a little bit? Oh, hello. Yes, we. we can oh, sorry. Hear. Yeah. Um, I think I, I wanted to just give you know, a little bit of commentary too. I mean, uh, comparing talking about the process, 
with the initial drawing of the maps and uh, you know back in when they selected the map in 2016 the you know the first redistricting map and then the process today I mean I I think it's interesting and kind of notable that like in uh, 2016 there was large community support for a certain map I think it was map to uh, be that had the, like definitely the most um, that was the result of like a lot of public hearings and it, there was a lot of support for a specific map and then at the last minute presumably I believe it was a bar owner downtown submitted another map that the council ended up uh, choosing so the, that carved up the downtown so just from like a public perception standpoint it looked like there was a lot of community input advocating for a certain thing, and then the council just went ahead and did something totally different. And then it, there's, I see that happening now. Whether or not you agree with Map 110 or Map 112, the fact of the matter is there's been vastly more community input and support for Maps 110 and 112. Um, and rather than, and then uh, as opposed to Map 114, you know, there's arguments on both sides, but it, I just find it. Uh, interesting in terms of like a public perception standpoint, one could again become very kind of jaded by this process, uh, viewing it because it looks like when there's a lot of public support for a map, given our current system, the council can just go ahead and do whatever they want, regardless of you know the uh, what the public they get the final say. So yeah, 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 and it, and it almost seems like you know maybe they need to again strengthen some state laws. Um, to help resolve those issues. Yeah. Um, interesting thing, when this was, when that map got introduced and the the plaintiffs who had the settlement with the city council then brought it back to the court while it was still in process, right? And the judge essentially said, um, you know, it's up to your city council and if you don't like what your city council does, you cannot reelect them. Well, those people got reelected, even right. though they, if if you let the city council draw the maps with which they get reelected, it turns out there's a really <laughs> big chance that they're going to get reelected. So, what we're looking at right now on the screen is the 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 two B map that was submitted and had a large community support in 2016. Uh, that was uh, replaced, uh, and and what I remember, and of course, it's from your reporting in the Fullerton Observer uh, that that I followed this. Um, that was replaced uh, with map five, which ended up being adopted. So yeah, maps that. I think it was map eight. Not that it matters at this point. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah I don't yeah. remember which map ended up. Being. Yeah. So what I find interesting though, is if you look at this alignment, it's very similar to the community map that's being brought forward again. Yeah. So yeah. very um, similar. Very similar. Yeah. And and I and I think that's a testament to what the community feels like the neighborhoods that that are like minded and together and 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 sort of fit um, that they keep coming back to. Oh, and I wanted to add too, and Jane, you you included this in your reporting that again, it sounds like I'm advocating for map one ten or one twelve, but I'm just I'm an observer <laughs> of this process. Like uh, it wasn't just the, um, the the bringing you know combining the colleges like the ACLU came out in support of map one ten. And they submitted like, I don't know, there was a signatures of a hundred and something people in support of it. And there was also a, like a fairly lengthy um, rationale that they submitted to the council. I don't know, like a 20 page rationale for why they were supporting this map. Um, so I, I, I didn't see any kind of thing like that for 
114, except people saying, you know, kind of anecdotally, it's better. <laughs> right. It's better because yeah, it's better. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, they, they probably, that's not fair. They had, they had some reasons, but I'm just saying like, I, I, I don't know. I just, it's. And it was, if anyone does want to read that report, it is available in the original submissions. Okay. The one that was submitted by Causey. Uh, Dr. Causey, um, he was one of the, you might know his name because he was one of the yeah. candidates who had run for um, District 2 against Dunlap. Yeah. Um, Very extensive. 37 pages. Yeah. 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 So. So uh, this is available yeah. to And this to is all on the City of Fullerton website. So much good content. Not always yeah. the so probably, to find this. <laughs> And probably yeah. the best way to find it is when you're on the city's main website, you click on the little circle for redistricting Fullerton, and uh-huh. then from there go to draft, draft maps, maps, and then it will take you to the link that yeah. the city clerk's right. um, file. I also uh, did link uh, it on the uh, on the Facebook chat right. as Thank well. You. Thank you. And uh, okay. someone did mention, uh, ask a question earlier is some students say they live on campus and others say they live. Uh, oh, wait, no, that is something else. How are uh, CSUF students counted? Is it based on where they live at the time of the census? Yeah. Yeah. So it, it all depends on where you live. Um, and, and so um, even though and, and, and that's true always that that you have people who are coming and working in a city that, that that that's their community, and you know clearly, I am very involved in, in and and affected by Fullerton city politics. But I just work there, uh, and and my census okay. data is Brea, um, and so I don't get to be counted in Fullerton. But that's always going to be true that where you go to school or where you work might not be where your um, actual residence is. So, um, but but you can you can talk at public comments and you can, uh, you know, certainly campaign for candidates that, that you want to support in areas that you might not actually get to vote for. And I think that that is going to have to be the answer for those people who are disenfranchised by the potential maps that are left without uh, a, a ballot um, in 2022 and didn't get to vote in 2020 and, and will will go six years without voting for a city council member. And, and also, you know, one of one of the philosophical, if we take a step back, of should we even be going to district maps? It's a it's a question that lots of cities are, and and clearly, you know, Anaheim and Fullerton, the larger cities, um, were were certainly going to be um, encouraged and sued into districts. Um, Brea is kind of struggling with that. We're so tiny uh, as it is. Uh, you know, we're a third the size of of Fullerton. Um, and and just don't have that kind of um, issue, but we we maybe by Kevin Shankman be sued into districts. Um, there are a couple of cities that are fighting it in Orange County. Um, Irvine is one of them. Uh, they they have a majority uh, council that that is uh, you know council of color. Uh, so there's not the same argument that they have struggled to elect people. Um, from underrepresented groups. Um, and so we will all be watching that court case um, to to whether or not one guy, Kevin Shankman, gets to sue us all into what he thinks the best <laughs> election system is of districts. And I think personally, it should be the communities that have these um, robust public mm-hmm. discourse of whether or not it should be district or not. We saw in Brea School District, the first time we went to districts, um, 
uh, we had one that ended in a tie. There were so few people um, that, that uh, ended up in the district that was 1,508 votes uh, against 1,508 votes. And we ended up with a rolling of the dice wow. to determine a school board member. And when you realize that, uh, you know, the pandemic had really, really, really difficult choices being made by school board members that affected the entire school district, um, that maybe we shouldn't have sliced and diced that and let lots of voters do that. Because mm. we have districts, we are kind of forced into to that You've got to campaign for people. You've got to be aware. You've got to talk to the people who might live in those districts that you have more information than they may be tapping into and make sure that you let people know um, how to follow candidates, how to get information about candidates, particularly in those low information elections, like school board and city council in the November general election, where it's just dominated by those top of the ticket. Mm. Um, I don't think that the governor's race will take up quite so much attention or energy as there doesn't seem to be a Republican of note that's running against Gavin Newsom, um, but certainly assembly and Congress and state Senate will get a lot of attention in these competitive races where um, it's going to be harder for school board and city council to get energy and oxygen um, for the voters. So it's really important that people get informed. I want to chime in here. We're coming up on about two, almost two hours. So this is kind of yeah. longer, a little longer than we had anticipated, but it's been amazing. Jane, I want to thank you so much. And I want to encourage um, anyone who wants to read more about this. Jane has been a uh, chronicler of this whole process over the last, you know, six, eight months or year, whatever, a cover, you know, tuning into the redistricting meetings. And um, so go to, you know, fullertonobserver.com. Um, yeah. She's got a bunch of articles on there. Uh, but I do want to give time uh, for Adrian and uh, and maybe if there's anybody on Zoom um, uh, to ask any uh, questions, uh, kind of follow-up questions or um, clarifying questions or any questions. So Adrian, do you have any questions or is anybody on, on the yes. Facebook have questions? I have some written down, but let's just give it a few minutes. Okay. <laughs> Um, is there, um, so, you know, I'm, I'm a very informed, I, I just try to pride myself on being a very informed voter, but, uh, with all these new districts and, uh, new, um, you know, new elections that we are going to have, how do you think is the best way to like stay informed with, with everything? Because I believe that now I have to, uh, do research on a completely new, con uh, Congress, congressional right, representative. Right. Yeah. It's really difficult. And, and I think it's why um, I, it's, it's why I like to partner with the Fullerton Observer on this. I think local media is the key to staying informed with your community. I wish that our civics education went, uh, you know, community up rather than being so top down. I think that you're going to just breathe in the air of a presidential uh, election and campaign. But it's hard, especially if you are not being raised in a family that is engaged in going to city council meetings and school board meetings like my poor children. Um, I think it's hard for young people to tap into that. So start with local media um, and, and, and start, you know, getting informed on, on city council races, on school board races. The, the pandemic kind of opened up the world to remote access to those meetings, um, I hope that that will continue the transparency and accessibility 
will continue. It matters um, to, to not have the cost of following your local government be that you have to drive to the city council chambers and sit um, and, and listen to, to, to a lot of boring stuff that doesn't particularly interest most people. And, and it's those highlights. Um, so yeah, that local media is the key. Social media helps um, following, you know, podcasts and, and newspapers and um, that can help definitely um, following candidates on social media that you agree with and disagree with and sharing that and helping other people get informed, I think matters. Um, but it's, it's a challenge. I mean, this is my job and, and I rely on media to, to, to fill in the blanks. I can't be at every meeting, even, you know, at, at the height of the pandemic where I had three devices going as I'm trying to follow three different meetings all at once. Um, it's hard to follow everything. And, and it feels overwhelming at times. And so I will share with any young voters that are listening to this, um, you know, when in doubt, leave it blank. Um, you don't have to vote for every office every time. If you don't know anything about judges and uh, just leave that blank um, and, and kind of seed to the people who are paying attention um, and then learn a little bit more next time. Start with the races that matter to you, pick the races that you can follow and then keep adding. And, and the more informed you get, the more information will come to you. The more tapped in you, to, you are, the more information will follow. Um, yes. So that I think that's the, the real entry point is, um, you know, if you're watching this forum, you're, you're already ahead of the game and you get a gold star. Um, and if you're, if you're a subscriber to the Fullerton Observer, if you're listening to the Observing Fullerton podcast, you're already ahead uh, of, of the average voter. So that helps. I would also like to point out the way that I stay informed is I put the um, the city council meetings at times two speed and then just watch it. And it's a quick 30 minutes. You know, it's, yes, it's very yes, yes, informative. Yes, and then I then I so tell good. all my friends uh, who are, you know, younger people who don't have time to watch everything um, and they seem to enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and knowing what what the hot things are, you know, a, a whole bunch of stuff at school board meetings isn't necessarily interesting to the outside observer, but those hot button issues become vitally important for people to, to pay attention to. Um, so yeah, getting informed about that and, and the Fullerton Observer does a great job of covering those local government uh, meetings. So that really helps. I want to give a quick plug for uh, Voice of OC. They're another good um, oh, uh, local love that. outlet that they, yeah. they do you know, more regional coverage and a very... Um, very, very good way. Uh, they do yeah. service. Yeah. Nor, Nor Border Santana uh, and, and the Voice of OC, a nonprofit. Um, lots of former reporters for the Orange County Register and Los Angeles Times who have joined forces to really cover that local. And, and it's a media desert. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't have independent journalism covering Brea. Yeah. Um, and, and so you really do rely on the, these nonprofit um, agencies. Orange County is trying to cut, you know, the Orange County Register is trying to cover 34 cities in Orange County. The, you know, the idea that Utah would have a single paper is laughable. Um, and yet that's what we're expecting uh, media outlets that are covering Orange County to do. Wow. And I have another question. Uh, so House members don't necessarily have to live in their districts. How do you think this new redistricting is going to impact that? Uh, do you think there's going to be battles between, um, well, I, we already saw that there's going to be battles between um, the same party. 
Yeah. So, so congressional, I mean, the, the framers of the constitution knew that gerrymandering was going to happen, although they didn't have a name for it yet. Uh, and so said that you, you don't have to legally live in those districts. That is not true for assembly and Senate. So there's going to be a lot of apartments being leased until rooms being rented out or Airbnb to, to register. Um, and, and I think a lot of the candidates who win election would then move to the district. Um, but, but, that that's going to be an issue uh and carpetbagger will certainly be a label thrown around in these campaigns um when nobody lives in the district it's harder to to use that that label um but certainly the voters get to make the decision based on whatever it is they want to elect people um based on i think you know i i certainly don't think that there's a vast difference between um, representing Brea or Fullerton. And if you live in one, I, you know, I don't think that the d- division line, uh, certainly, you know, the, 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 the label of carpetbagger that has stuck has been South County to, or- to North Orange County. And, and that seems to be something that voters are a little suspicious of. Certainly if somebody from San Francisco was running for a race, that would be something suspicious. Um, but we'll see what happens and see who moves. Um, we Certainly, you know, saw that Gil Cisneros kind of moved to the district, um, had community ties. And that's what people tend to actually campaign on is, is their connection to the district, why it's important to them and what they want to do. Um, that, as a voters, seems to matter more to me than, you know, were you fourth generation a brand. Um, but that's certainly something that I hear at school board meetings all the time is, you know, my grandfather went to Laurel Elementary. Good for you. Um, I don't know how that helps you actually represent the school district of 2022, but good for you. <laughs> um, Tom Daly or Daly? Daly. Daly. Yeah, so he, yeah, he dropped out of the race uh, this Thursday. Well, he wasn't going to go for re-election, and he announced that on Thursday. Yeah. Um, um, someone who, let me see if I have this right uh, later. Uh, Valencia? Valencia, yeah. Uh, who now serves as Daly's district director, uh, said that they were jumping into the uh, race. Do you think that with these new districts, there are going to be more um, basically the old politicians endorsing um, new politicians? Yeah, endorsements end up being really important because it's almost as if, you know... an introduction of old uh, that, that you saw, you know, that here I'm introducing this person to you and they have my seal of approval. Seal of That's approval, yes. What uh, endorsements can sometimes do. Again, it's only the, the very well-informed that follow those endorsements. Um, and so I think that the low information voter that's getting a ballot, it wouldn't necessarily know that it's going to be voting on a lot of different factors. So um, money always matters, how much money you can raise. Those endorsements absolutely help with donors thinking that they are a serious candidate. Um, And so we'll see what happens with all of those races. With these endorsements, do you think that there's going to be room for new politicians then? Um, Sure. Uh, You know, certainly uh, the the millennials are now uh, all voters and and Gen Z is following quickly behind, uh, joining every year more and more. Um, Millennials outnumber baby boomers as as far as uh, in the population. They do not yet outnumber them as voters. But as these, uh, you know, high profile elections happen, um, more and more millennials are, and, and, you know, it's almost an inverse in 
the, the, the crises that are facing our nation um, definitely helps voter turnout. Uh, and so, you know, we're seeing more young people. Millennials are now in their 40s. So I don't know if we want to still call them young people, but they'll always be young to me. Um, but, but we're certainly seeing th- them take a bigger portion of the electorate. I think that they're looking for people. Um, who will represent them. That doesn't necessarily mean young candidates. You know, Bernie Sanders had a huge following among young people. Um, so it depends what the candidates stand for, I don't think. Um, but but we'll certainly see more Gen Z active. TikTok is going to be a big, um, you know, a, a campaign place for those. So all those interns who, who know how to do TikTok, uh, there, there are old candidates who desperately need you. Um, uh, there's a market for that. There's a market for it. Social media on Instagram on, yeah, the fact that we're live streaming this on Facebook is is a testament to our social media of choice. Um, And so, uh, yeah, I think that there's that crossover and divide of how do you do it seamlessly? And that's, I think, really why you want uh, native users of TikTok rather than the cringy you know, Gavin Newsom had a couple of TikToks that I thought, oh, no, 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 no. It's better not to be there than than to go viral for all the wrong reasons. So um, definitely interns are going to be needed um, to, to help candidates reach younger voters who are who are interested in, and want to be informed. And my last question goes to Jane uh, about the uh, redistricting process. You mentioned that there's multiple ways to do the redistricting process, if I'm correct. Oh, so, it was, so the the idea of an advisory com- commission. Yes. So we ended up. Oh, we ended up with an advisory commission. We could have had an independent commission, where the city council would have no say in the map. Basically, have a non-biased uh, point of view all across the board. But there would there... depending on who gets appointed, right? How do you yeah. appoint them? Um, and then there's a hybrid approach too, where um, the advisory commission would select from a couple of maps that then go to the council and then the council can only select from those. So ours was wide open. Um, the council didn't have to select from the three that were recommended from our advisory commission, but they are using that as um, a measure. For instance, um, Jesus Silva um, gave support for um, map 112 um, because it was recommended uh, by the advisory commission as much as you know, 114 was in fact there was a higher uh, support from the com- the commission for 112 over 114. And he said, out of respect for that 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 commission um, decision, I would like to recommend 112 as opposed to pulling you know 110 forward. It was it was a good balance. So, was there any special reason why we went with an advisory committee rather than an independent? Was it a monetary uh, aspect or no? It was, I believe that Jesse would probably be better on this because he covered their decision. It was, it was a decision made at city council that their idea was the, the voters elected us and we should not abdicate our duties to some independent commission. Yeah, I don't, I don't actually remember um, all the arguments there when they, you know, when they did that. I, I, I want to. I could be wrong. I, I feel like it wasn't unanimous. Like I think there might have been some people on council who were for an independent commission, and there were certainly public. I remember there were a fair amount of public commenters who showed up to that when the council meeting when they voted to establish the advisory commission, saying, 
have an independent commission. Like there were people who were saying this will be a better kind of thing. Um, they didn't go with that. Um, but I don't remember the exact breakdown. And, and as Jane says, independent is only independent depending on who appoints those yeah. people. Yes. So yeah, I, I think there were some people who were at least thinking, uh, you know, that the, the elected city council members would at least have to be accountable to the maps that they chose because they were the ones that approved them ultimately. So yeah. elections right. have consequences. So <laughs> indeed. Very well, much yeah. so. I think we're right at about the, the two hour. That was my last question. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you, Adrian. We're at the two hour and seven minute mark. So we plan to do exactly two hours and seven minutes. So it was, uh, <laughs> as all good forums are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I want to again thank uh, Jody Balma again, uh, professor of political science from Florida College. Thank you for your great uh, insight and knowledge. Please, again, check out her podcast, uh, Slice of Orange. Uh, thank you to Jane Rands, again, for uh, her coverage of the local redistricting and for your presentation. Um, and again, there, there's a tab, if you go to the cityofpolarton.com, there's a tab that's just like redistricting, right? Like, is that one of the tabs available? They have a, or, oh, no, you're, you're saying no, Jane. Oh, remember that little circle that's on the front the yeah. city's main yeah. page? Yeah. Look for the little redistricting, the blue circle on the right. The blue circle. Midway down. Yes, that's the one. Yeah. So check that out. They have more you know, information and stuff. You can learn about it. Uh, and also some good tools from the demographer that the city contracted with, um, you know, to just kind of learn about. You, you know, you learn more than just about like... Um, you know, maps, we also learn about the, you know, the makeup, the demographic makeup of your city, which is yeah. pretty interesting too. Thank you also to Adrian, uh, our editor at um, our brand new, well, pretty new now, Observing Fullerton Podcast. Thank you for your monitoring the Facebook and you look like the most official podcaster among us with your yeah, <laughs> and headphones. So uh, we'll take, we'll try to learn from your example there. Um, but yeah, so I think I'm going to uh, uh, end it. So thank you again, everyone. Uh, check out fortinobserver.com uh, for our local coverage. And Good. so I'm going to um, end the meeting. This will end it for all of us, actually. Perfect. So, um, so thank you again. Have a great okay. night. Thanks. All right. Good night. Good night, everybody. Good night.